Hello, witchy friends, and welcome to episode number two of the Comfy Cozy Witch podcast with me, Jenny Blonde, the Comfy Cozy Witch. I'm so excited if you're joining me for episode number two. That means you made it through episode number one and you you were okay with listening to my voice <laughs> for 30, 35 minutes. Um, but I'm so excited to be able to do this and to be able to share things about my practice with you and to hopefully learn and grow from you as well. I've been receiving a lot of really nice feedback and some really nice comments and just overall kind remarks from many of you out there. So thank you. I am truly grateful for that. And I really appreciate all of you who have responded to let me know what types of things you would like me to talk about what witchy topics would interest you. I will definitely do my best to cover those. And as I did comment on a lot of your comments for my for my story, I, I'll touch upon at some point every single one of those topics sooner or later. So this episode is going to be all about Samhain. So get excited. And before we get into the Samhain chat, though, I do want to talk about what is making me feel comfy, cozy, witchy lately. And that item or that beautiful creature is the fox. So if you've been following me on my Instagram, which is at Comfy Cozy Witch, then you probably have seen that I've posted now three or four times about a fox that lives in my neighborhood. And it started out when we first moved here and we've only been here for a little less than a year actually. And when we first moved here upon, I mean, our first weekend of living in our new house, we saw two foxes in our neighborhood. And immediately, of course, that made me feel that we have selected the right place to live, that we are where we are meant to be right now because foxes are just magical, beautiful creatures. And, you know, the foxes are very, they're very nurturing and protective of home and staying close to their dens and staying close to their families. And that also told me that, you know, maybe we're in the right place because this is our new home. We're making our home here. Our family is here for a while. We've moved away from or further away from our other family. And so that sign, seeing the fox within the first week or two that we moved in was just huge and so magical for me. And so we had seen these foxes on a number of walks around the neighborhood and walks around the area. And after a while, they disappeared. And there were, I believe, two. We would see one at a time. One time, my partner did see both of them. um, But I would typically see them one at a time on a walk. And we are in a newer neighborhood. So there was a lot of building going on. And I think that that may have scared the foxes away which kind of made me sad because I enjoyed seeing them on my walks and they would be out in the middle of the day. And there was one picture I posted, um, I think it was on my, on my story, so I'll have to actually post it so you all can see it or figure out a way to post it to my website. 
there was um, a fox just hiding behind one of the work trucks and I caught it. It was just peering at me from underneath the truck, like half hidden behind a tire. And I was able to get a picture of it and it's cute. Oh, it's cute little face. And that just made me so happy. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, we had those foxes, they disappeared for a little while. And then a baby fox appeared. And so we're wondering if the two original foxes were the parents. And so a baby fox started showing up in our neighborhood during the day, sometimes in the evenings. And after a few weeks, I noticed this poor baby fox had a limp. It, it wasn't using its front left leg. Actually, it was my son, my seven-year-old, who pointed that out to me whenever we saw the fox on our walk one day. And he he's like, oh, mommy, look, oh no. And yeah, the fox, its poor leg, I, I don't think it was broken because it did heal eventually, but he did really hurt it because he struggled to, to walk and run across the street. And then that poor baby fox disappeared for a while. And it was probably, I don't know, four or six weeks that I hadn't seen it. And I, I began to get kind of worried and I asked my my partner if he had seen the fox. And he said, oh, yeah, I just saw him last Sunday when I was getting into my truck before work. And I thought, oh, my goodness, and you didn't tell me I've been asking about the fox. And here he, he had seen him not 10 feet away from him getting in the truck. So I felt much better knowing that the fox was doing OK and that his legs seemed to be better. Well, another few weeks go by and I haven't seen the fox and it, this was just last weekend and I shared this in my, one of my most recent posts. My partner was outside getting the fire pit set up out back because we like to spend our weekends outside under the stars, under the sky, you know, with a fire going, especially in fall, my favorite season, as you know. And he said he turned around from stoking the fire and the fox was sitting in the middle of my outdoor sacred space. So I think I've talked about my sacred space before. It is toward the back of our backyard. I had put in an eight foot round paver space. I have a little altar there. That's where I do my meditation, any yoga. That's where I do rituals, some spell work when I wanna be outside in the elements. And this fox was sitting in the middle. He said smack tab in the middle of my outdoor sacred space. And he looked at the fox right in the eyes and the fox didn't move. And he made a noise or two, you know, trying to kind of shoo him away because we have our two dogs. And he said the fox took two steps forward and then sat on the first step. So there are two steps leading to my sacred um, circle. And the fox just sat there on the step and stared at him. And he made some more commotion and then the fox walked a couple more steps toward him. So the fox at this point, he said, was only maybe eight, 10 feet away from him. And he didn't seem to mind that, you know, a, a human being was so close. And eventually, because I knew that the dogs were going to come out, or he knew the dogs were going to come out, he did shoo the fox away. And the fox slowly walked through our property, down the hill, 
across the road and into a grove of trees. There are a whole bunch of trees across the, the road here. It's a nice little wooded area where I'm pretty sure he must have a den. And so he did, he did see the fox. I saw the fox again recently, which brought a smile to my face. My neighbor told us that he had seen the fox in the tree line one evening when he was mowing, actually, or doing, um, I'm sorry, fertilizing, doing yard work. He turned around and saw two yellow eyes just staring at him. And so that just made me so happy to know that, that the fox is okay. I haven't seen the parents for a while, but I know the baby is okay. And... It just, again, it just made me happy that my little fox friend <laughs> was doing all right. I do, I am very cautious because I do have one bigger dog, Reese, the one that you hear barking on the podcast. <laughs> and so I know some of you commented about her. Nice comments, of course. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but the little one, I have a little familiar, my oldest one, who is deaf. And she is also going blind, so I, I definitely want to be cautious now whenever I'm going outside, especially at night. I'm taking her outside because I used to let her off leash because she doesn't wander far from me at all. But just, you know, knowing the fox is out there, I just want to be cautious. Even though I really feel like the fox I, wouldn't do anything, uh, I just want to protect my little, my little girl, <laughs> my little Yorkie familiar. And I thought since I'm talking about foxes that I would just share a little bit of uh, foxes related to witchcraft and fox mythology. And some of this information comes from Rowan Morgana. And foxes are known for mystery, invisibility, shape-shifting, associated with goddess Demeter and the god Bacchus. And when we're looking at our solar energy, solar system, um, foxes are associated with Mercury and the moon. The fox has the ability to blend into the scenery, watching what is going on and keeping hidden or camouflaged from view, which I know is very true because I don't see it all the time in our neighborhood and I'll see it, you know, peeking its head through some reeds or some tall grasses. And what they teach us is to step back from complications and drama and observe rather than react. So if you're you're encountering a fox or if you're working with an oracle deck and you choose a fox, it might be telling you to take a step back for a little bit. Observe. Don't make any rash decisions, any rash actions. From observation, we can divine the patterns that will provide the answers we are seeking. And of course, you know, foxes can be tricky they're known to be cunning, as we see, and I think we see that through pop culture as well. And they use the darkness as a cloak of invisibility, except if you're the fox um, in, in our neighborhood, because uh, he likes to make himself known, I think, um, throughout the day and the night. You're most likely to see a fox during dawn or dusk, which is the magical time when the light changes. And he can appear and disappear in the wink of an eye and is an accomplished shapeshifter, often transforming into a woman or a magician. And I love the lore and mythology associated with the fox. I just think the imagery is so beautiful. Though the fox is a member of the dog family, he shows cat-like traits and is therefore an animal of balance between both male and female energies. So I think this is just all beautiful. The magical properties of a fox are beautiful. The nice balance is gorgeous. And the animal itself is really a beautiful creature. I love too 
that foxes can be guides to the fairy realms because of their trickiness, um, the trickiness of their appearances and disappearances. So it's said too, if you ever see a fox, it may be an invitation to communicate with the fairies and with the fae. And as I mentioned on my, my altar episode, I work with Faye as well, so and I have my fairy altar. So the fact that I have the foxes here, I'm in the middle of the woods of Pennsylvania, it just makes it super magical and cozy. So that's a bit about foxes and what is making me feel comfy, cozy, and witchy right now. So we are moving on to Samhain. And I think many of you might know, and maybe not, and that's okay, because it's great that that we can all learn together, but Samhain is commonly referred to as the witch's new year. And so this is uh, when a witch sets her new year intentions, and of course this can happen at the traditional new new year in January as well. But it is commonly referred to as the witch's new year. This is thought to be the most magical time, the most powerful time to do any witchcraft, to do spell work, to speak with ancestors, of course, because the veil is thinning. And I want to talk a little bit about the history of Samhain. So Samhain is the last harvest festival. It is the last harvest fire festival. And I do want to mention quickly, in the Northern Hemisphere, it is Samhain on October 31st to the morning of November 2nd. And in the Southern Hemisphere, so directly across the wheel of the year, it is Beltane. So I do want to say Beltane blessings to those of you who are listening to this in the Southern Hemisphere. And I will be doing an episode on Beltane, of course. And at that point, it will be the Southern Hemisphere's Samhain. So it's it's neat how the wheel, you know, it's reversed depending on where, where you live and in what hemisphere you're in. But so the Celts, the ancient Celts, years, I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, they survived winter by, by being excited and looking forward to spring. And so Samhain for the ancient Celts was that final time for them to celebrate the last little bits of summer and the summer harvest before they had to buckle down for what was coming ahead, the dark seasons, the cold seasons, where crops would not grow as well, would not nothing could be produced, obviously. And so this was a big celebration for them because they're honoring the food. And you have to think hundreds of years ago, obviously, there aren't supermarkets, there's no genetically modified foods. You ate what came from the land. And so these harvest festivals were so large and so meaningful because this was really the last chance for them to kind of celebrate these harvests because they, again, had to go inside for the winter, for the dark parts of the month. And they would harvest all of this food to hold them over through the winter until spring would come again. And then they could get back out there and plant and grow. And then the next harvest season would come for the next year. So I think it's important to note 
that to the ancient Celts, this was such an important time. And if you, you know, you're someone who follows the cycles of God and goddess, Samhain is also a very important time because it's the time for the God to die. So this is the end. This is the dark end of the year. This is the end of God's cycle. So it's time for the God to die. And it's time where the goddess is waiting for Yule to come. So waiting for that winter solstice, waiting for Yule where she can give birth to God again, to that next version of God. And Samhain, again, it focuses very heavily on death, on ancestors, because it's winding down to the end of the year and the rebirth of a new witch's year, the witch's new year. It's a great time for getting rid of any energy that is not serving you. So banishing all of that negative energy, uh, getting rid of those bad habits that that have stuck around for the year or longer. It's also a really great time to do some manifesting work because it's the new year. So what new goals will you have? What new plans do you have for the upcoming witch's year? So those are all really great things to do during this time, during Samhain. And I think The most common thing that people think of is the ancestor work. So I do want to talk a bit about how the Celts felt about ancestor work and felt about death, because that is so important to what I believe is the history of Samhain. So first, the Celts, they followed the turning of the seasons, of course. It was part of their their culture and their agrarian culture, so the agriculture when it comes to their harvest. But they also knew that death was a part of life, and so they honored this season as a time to also honor death and honor ancestors. And obviously that has carried over to now as we continue to celebrate Samhain. So again, they thought death was part of life. When the bodies of the dead were buried, they rejoined the land um, because they were buried in the land. And because of this, the sites where people were buried became sacred places that were revered by the living. And the areas were thought to be spiritual places of so much power because they possessed the power of those that had passed, you know, they were joining with the spirits of the land as well. So these areas had so much power. And so when we talk about the veil thinning, and really feeling that in cemeteries, I think knowing this history, that makes a little bit more sense, because not just the power of ancestors, but the power of the land as well, and how it's all connected, how everything is connected. So the ancient Celts would visit these sacred burial sites of their ancestors often, and especially during this time of year before winter came and it was too cold and um, and too cold for them to go out even in the elements to always visit these sacred places. And so they would visit these places consistently. Uh, Perhaps it was thought on a seasonal basis or When there was a particular event that they wanted to celebrate, they would go to these spaces where their ancestors were buried 
and um, celebrate with them on that sacred land. And they would also bring them offerings that would nourish them, that could appease them, offerings of food and drink, offerings of items that they liked. And that now translates into what we might put on our altars, which I'll talk about in a little bit here. (laughs) Uh, So the connection and this communion with the spirits of ancestors was continual. So it was throughout the whole year, but especially important during Samhain, during this last harvest festival. So I do want to move on, and and I know I I can go on and on about the history and tell you more, um, but I do want to move on to talk about, you know, bringing it to our contemporary time and what maybe you can do for to celebrate Samhain, what I do, what other witches do to celebrate Samhain. So I want to go and talk about that and talk about maybe a little bit of ancestor work and how we can set up our sacred spaces to honor our ancestors and to honor Samhain. So let's talk about how uh, we can celebrate Samhain. And I want to start just by talking about how the Celts celebrated Samhain. I gave you a nice little overview of the history, but because Samhain was one of the, the four major fire festivals, actually to them, to the Celts, it was the largest fire festival. Ancient Celts were actually mandated, so or well, early texts at least say, that they were required to celebrate and partake in the celebration that lasted three days and three nights. And they were required to show themselves to the local chieftains or the local kings. And if they didn't do that, it was thought to result in punishment from the gods in the form of illness or death. So, you know, this, I guess they were kind of forced to participate in the celebration. But I mean, it there was tons of food and drink and they were celebrating ancestor ancestors. So I like to think that People wanted to celebrate, not so much that they were forced, (laughs) but they actually wanted to celebrate. And some documents actually mention that there were six days, not just three, but six days of drinking to excess. Uh, It would be mead, which is honey wine, or beer with with feasts with a lot of gluten. (laughs) So a lot of breads, um, a lot of your starches, and of course, a lot of your harvest vegetables. And they used a lot of that for their cooking as well. And during Samhain, the ancient Celts also prepared offerings uh, that were left outside of the villages for their ancestors and also in fields for fairies because the barrier between their, their world and the fairy realm was something that could be breached. So they would leave food, not just for their ancestors, but for fairies as well. And they were hoping, obviously, that some of the fairies would come through, that some of the ancestors would come through. And they also believed that some monsters that were associated with Samhain and could shapeshift, that they would come through as well. And uh, to hide from some of those mythological creatures and some of those monsters, people would dress up and try to scare them away. And so it's thought that, you know, possibly the translation to Halloween from Samhain to Halloween and dressing up came from that tradition where people would dress up 
to scare away these monsters and scare away the evil spirits that would come to them whenever the veil is at its thinnest. So now that you've heard a little bit of how the ancient Celts felt about Samhain and why they celebrated it and a little bit of how they celebrated it, I want to talk about how we can celebrate Samhain nowadays and a little bit about how I celebrate Samhain. Because so much of Samhain talks about working with our ancestors and trying to connect with our ancestors, one of the best ways that we can celebrate and honor it is through ancestor work or reaching out to our ancestors or creating offerings on our altar for our ancestors. And so a really great way for you to connect with Samhain is to set up an ancestor altar or set up a a Samhain-specific altar. So as you know, and I've said before, I have my main altar and then I have a few other altars in my office, in my sacred space, and throughout my house. And I do have my ancestor altar behind me, behind my desk. And on my ancestor altar, I typically have the pictures of my grandparents who have passed away and of ancestors who contacted me through a Ouija board when I was 11 years old, which is going to be a bonus episode that I talk about actually later this week, uh, right before Samhain. I'm actually going to release that. So surprise! And so I have their pictures and then any offerings for them. So my, there was a cloth that my grandmother had on her kitchen table at, at Halloween time. And my grandmother, this is the one who passed away just this May. So we lost her recently. She had this, it was pumpkins and I'm going to post a picture of it so you all can see it. I'll put it on my Instagram. So it was, it's a white tablecloth with black pumpkins And last Halloween, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, and I were all sitting around her table actually talking about Samhain, talking about Halloween, um, talking about my folk magic healing ancestors. And it was so wonderful because my Nana, her, her dementia hadn't really kicked in yet. And so she was telling me all about Florence and Rush, the ancestors who contacted me when I was very little. (laughs) And... It was just a really beautiful time spent. And earlier in that day, my mother, aunt, and I had gone to uh, our little favorite medical, metaphysical shop, not medical, metaphysical shop, and picked up some new incense. So we were burning incense in my Nana's kitchen talking about all of this when a piece of the ash fell on this tablecloth and burned a little hole in it. And I'll never forget it because my Nana, I think she went to the other room or something. And my mom, aunt, and I were like, oh my gosh, Jenny. And they were like, Jenny, look what you did. Look what you did. Because I was the one kind of keeping an eye on the incense. And so there, there is a small like pinky sized hole that is now in this tablecloth. So we hit it. And of course we told Nana about it that night and she was okay with it. Like she was fine with it. And now I have that tablecloth. So that was something that my mom and my aunt wanted me to have because I have that memory from last Samhain, from last Halloween, us sitting around the table right before my Nana's big Halloween party. And my Nana, by the way, would have the best Samhain Halloween party every single year. People would come from all over. She would have 50 people in her house. She would go all out decorating uh, the food galore, drinks. I mean, talk about a 
Samhain festival, my Nana knew how to do it. And like talking, whoo, I'm getting a little emotional now talking. Um, you know, this is the first year that she isn't, she isn't able to do that, obviously. And so I really want to make this year special. <clears throat> but so I have this tablecloth. Sorry, I don't want to get emotional on my second, my second episode for all of you. So I had this tablecloth that that we burned the incense through last year. And I have that now on my ancestor altar to honor my Nana. Uh, Other things that I would put on my ancestor altar, my other grandmother, she would always drink her Cokies, she called them. It was Coke and whiskey. And she always had Irish coffee as well. And she liked Baileys. So I'll put out some Baileys for her. My grandfather, um, he loved he loved his smoking, so I might put a cigar on or a pipe on the altar for him. So anything that reminds me of them, um, anything that has not just a, a superficial or material material reminder, but a reminder that hits me to the core. So for me, putting this tablecloth and using that as my altar cloth this year. Um, connects me so, so closely to my Nana. And it's funny because it smells like her too. It smells like her house. And my my friend, Rowan, he, he has a podcast as well, Season of the Witch with Rowan. He, he was talking about this the other day, about how scents, and he's so right, how smells and scents can bring you so much closer to memories and so much closer even to your ancestors than the other senses. And so the smell of this tablecloth, it still smells like my Nana's house, how I remember it, how I remember us sitting there last year, which is so magical and so meaningful. So I'm going to have that out. And I know I digressed a little bit and I'm going off on a little tangent, but you know, that's so important to me that I have something that resonates closely with me that could help me connect to my ancestors. So yeah, that's one thing you can do is set up an ancestor altar that honors them. If you you don't have ancestors that you care to set up an altar for, maybe you have some another loved one that passed on. If you have a friend that passed on or animals our animals are are part of us. They're our familiars. They're so close with us. So if you have an animal that passed away, maybe you want to put on your altar their leash, their collar, a favorite toy that they had, or a bone. When it comes to ancestors and and setting up an ancestor altar, it isn't just about the people in your life. It's also the animals and the creatures that were close to you. And the friends, it's not just family, you know, blood family. So that is one thing that you can do. Um, Another thing that we can do to honor Samhain is to eat the foods of the harvest. So have a Samhain meal, a pumpkin soup or a butternut squash soup. I talked about that butternut squash lasagna that I made last week that was amazing. That's a great dish for Samhain. And a lot of these dishes too can have so much magic that you put in it. Um, A a cider, a nice spiced cider is a really great drink to have for Samhain because not only does it honor the season and 
the, the crops and the harvest of the season and the last harvest, but you can add so many ma- magical ingredients and intentions into a nice cider. So I always do a cider on Samhain and I keep it heating in a crock pot for a couple of hours and have it to sip on throughout the evening or throughout the day. And this year, Halloween, as we know, in Samhain on the 31st is also the blue moon. So it's especially a powerful time. And so that is also our trick-or-treating night in our neighborhood. And we're doing like a a nice socially distanced trick-or-treating here. But I will also have my Samhain meal that night as well. And I'll have that cider going all day so I can sip on it while I'm handing out candy, which I'm, I'm excited about doing that. So some great foods that you can make for Samhain is I, I gave you a couple of, of things that I do, but something that the ancient Celts often had was soul cakes. And it's one of the main recipes for Samhain and it's just cakes filled with fruits and nuts, and they're given as offerings to people, given as offerings to ancestor, to spirit, and they seem to be pretty easy to make. And I'll, I should, I'll probably post, I'll probably post a recipe somewhere, probably on my Instagram. Um, and then rosemary herbs, uh, rosemary thyme herb bread. That's something I like to make as well. Rosemary, as we know, is good for remembrance. So this is an herb that is closely associated with Samhain. So if you're making um, any food, really, you can add rosemary too, because that is for remembrance and can help us come a little bit closer to our ancestors and to people that we might want to communicate with. Um, Pumpkin, obviously, this is a huge season for squash of all kinds. So pumpkin in any of its forms, pumpkin soup, pumpkin cookies, pumpkin desserts, pumpkin cupcakes, pumpkin muffins, uh, apples are also great, pomegranates, of course, because they, they're connected to Persephone and Hades, and I can go into that in a whole, a whole other episode Um, but you know, Hades takes Persephone to the underworld and Demeter, who is Persephone's mother is very upset about that. Um, and again, that could be a whole other thing, but so the pomegranates and apples are also closely associated with this. So you could create something in the kitchen, do a little kitchen witchery using those ingredients as well. Another great way to honor Samhain is to get outside, be out in nature. Remember, this we're going into the dark half of the year. It's going to get colder. The weather, I guess, depending on where you are, um, but typically it gets colder. The weather gets worse. Uh, we're going to see snow and ice storms come about, and so you'll want to be holed up inside. So this is a really great opportunity to go out, go out in nature, enjoy the changing season. I know right here, and we're still a week away from Samhain, but where I live in Pennsylvania. The leaves are changing. These vibrant, these vibrant reds and oranges and yellows are just gorgeous. Go out, go for a nature walk and just bask in this time of year before it gets colder. Uh, and I, another thing I realized now that I mentioned my ancestor altar, but you can also decorate your altar for Samhain if that's something that would be interested interesting for you. 
of course, colors associated with Samhain, orange, black, which is really easy to find this time of year because of all the Halloween goodies that are out there in every single store that you visit and all over online. So the colors associated, as I said, are the black and the orange. Other colors associated with Samhain are deep colors, purple, burgundy, uh, harvest shades, gold, and orange. These are popular for altars at this time. And, you know, you can cover your altar with a dark colored altar cloth, which kind of welcomes in the darker nights because, of course, the days are getting shorter. Candles that you can use would be in the same deep, rich colors. Uh, and maybe you even want to add in a little bit of silver here, touch of white, some gold as well. Uh, but overall, like I said, the orange, blacks, burgundies, gold, deep purples are really nice. Other things that you can add to your altar if you wanted to dress it up a little bit for Samhain is anything that represents death and like the dying of crops and even dying of life because, you know, you're honoring that life cycle at this this holiday, at this festival. So skulls are obviously, I see those a lot. <laughs> um, so skulls or skeletons. You could even ghost figures, uh, ghostly pictures that you find. Something that I've seen people do before are grave rubbings. But if you do choose to put any grave rubbings, you want to make sure that you ask permission um, from from the person who is buried there. And if it's even an ancestor, you want to make sure that you go, you know, and ask permission to do do so before you do that. Make sure you ask them permission. Uh, you can add rep representations of your ancestors as well. So let's say you are just dressing up your everyday altar and you don't have a separate ancestor altar. You can have your pictures then represented on that altar. Or again, you can have a completely separate space like I have. It's completely up to you. Other symbols that you might want to put on your altar include some wine, mold wine, or mead, as I said before, that honey wine, because, you know, we're celebrating the last harvest festival dried leaves, um, nuts, any nuts, acorns, sprigs of herbs. Of course, I mentioned rosemary before. Rosemary is so closely associated with Samhain because of its meaning and connection to remembrance in our ancestors. Corn is always a, a, an easy thing if you want to put on your altar. Corn, any offerings that you might have to deities that symbolize death or statues of, of deities that represent death. Any offerings, again, to your ancestors. Other things you could have that you might already have on your altar are divination tools because this is a really, really great time for divination because the veil is so thin. So divination tools... Any of those harvesty fruits and vegetables you could add to your altar. I said rosemary before, but mudwort, mudwort is a really good one, especially if you're going to be doing divination. Yew branches are associated with mortality. So all of those have correspondences to Samhain. And then incense that you might want to use and crystals would be sandalwood. So those really um, heady incenses. So sandalwood, patchouli, sage, those would all be really good 
incenses to use during Samhain. And then crystals, anything in the dark, like the darker crystals, obsidian, jet, onyx, uh, smoky quartz, bloodstone. These are all really great ones to use to decorate and just to use in general for Samhain, to use in general. Another good thing to do during this time to honor the festival is spell work. This is a really great time for divination. And as I said before, it's the perfect holiday to release what is no longer serving you. So doing some banishing spells, some releasing rituals, bringing an end to those habits that you just want to be done with. Any spell work with honoring the dead or connecting to your ancestors. And again, that could be a whole episode on its own doing ancestor work. Uh, Releasing bad habits, as I said before. Banishing things. Let's see what else. It's also time you can do some past life work, past life regression. It's also a really great time for protection. And on that note, I do want to mention when it comes to Samhain and the veil is thin, We do just want to make sure that we're protecting ourselves anytime we're doing ritual work or spell work. Just make sure, you know, you have your bubble of protection and whatever that means to you, whatever you do for protection, whether it's carrying protective stones or a scent, or if you do a protection ritual or you call in your guides and ask them to protect you, you know, for your highest good, you always want to make sure that you have some sort of protection in place. And I know I mentioned uh, deities before that you might honor would be ones that are associated with death and that you might set up on your altar uh, their pictures or figures that correspond to them. And I just want to talk about what who some of those deities are because this is also a really great time that you can work with those deities. So Hecate, of course, um, she would be a great goddess to work with. The Crone, um, Saradwen, Bast, Persephone. I mean, she has such a close connection uh, with being on the hand of Hades. The Horned Hunter, Osiris, of course, Hades, Anubis, Loki, Aron. So these are all gods and goddesses that are somehow related to death or oversee the underworld. So again, this would be a great time for you to connect to those deities or to honor them in some way, shape, or form. Oh, and I will add quickly, I I apologize if my pronunciation is not on par for some of those deities I'm trying here. Um, I'm I'm familiar very much with uh, the Greek gods and goddesses. Um, because that I've just worked with them a little bit more. And I think that came from, I have such a a long background with the Greek deities in having taught them for so long, because I taught, I taught mythology for uh, almost 14 years. But I do apologize about the other (laughs) deities if I did not pronounce them all correctly. So just quickly, what I'm going to be doing for Samhain this year as I said before, it falls on our trick-or-treating night. So, and it and it didn't always do that. Sometimes trick-or-treating would be the Thursday before Halloween or the Thursday before Samhain. But 
where we live now, it takes place on the 31st. So I'm really excited that that it's all happening kind of at once because it raises that energy a little bit more and there's that excitement. So my day will start, I'll start the 31st and it's a Saturday, which is nice. My family is home with me as well. Um, I'm going to start the day with my typical morning ritual, my meditation. I have my coffee, light a candle, do my card pulls. Uh, I will sit at my ancestor altar also that morning and see if any messages come through from any of my ancestors or anybody who would like to reach out to me. And of course, I'll protect myself first and um, just see if I can make any sort of connection. I've connected with uh, my grandparents in the past and since my, my grandmother passed away in May and the COVID was going on, all the COVID stuff, and it still is obviously, I did not get to say goodbye in person. I didn't get to see her. So Saturday morning, part of my work, I want to communicate with my Nana and and just express to her what I would had I been there. And I have talked to her before, you know, at my altar, but I feel like Samhain is going to be the best day to have that sort of connection just because the veil is at its thinnest. And I have the best chance of connecting with her and being able to have a little more closure, I guess is what I want to say. And and that's mostly what I want to get out of Samhain this year is to have that closure with my Nana who passed away during COVID uh, because I didn't get that at all. <clears throat> so I'm going to, I'll do that at work probably in the morning. The mornings is my time to to get some magical working done. And I do magical working in the evenings as well, but I have my energy is raised the most in the morning and I've always been a morning person too. I mean early morning when the moon is still out. So that's what I'll do in the morning throughout the day then. As you know, I love my cooking. <laughs> so I'll be preparing a meal for that evening. And this year, I think I'm going to do, I'm definitely going to do some rosemary bread, that is for sure, with thyme butter. So I'll make a thyme, maybe rosemary butter. I'm not entirely positive quite yet. I'll let you know <laughs> when it's closer to the date. And I'm going to do a soup, a harvest soup of some kind. And I was talking to my partner about maybe doing that lasagna again, because it was so good. And it would just be a great part of the feast for Samhain. I'm definitely going to make the cider and have that going throughout the day because that just, it also, uh, the scent of the cider just permeates my entire home and it just feels like Samhain and it feels like fall and it feels like harvest. And it reminds me of being at my grandmother's house and cooking with her and making this big feast because as I said, she would have a party every year on October 31st. Everybody came to tons of food. So I wanted to replicate that as much as I can. Not that we're going to have a party, but a party of three and my two little familiars. So a party of five here, I guess. <laughs> so I'm going to be cooking most of the day. I'll get my son ready for his trick-or-treating and my my husband will take him trick-or-treating while I stay back and I typically I just I enjoy handing out the the candy and the treat bags to the kids and we're doing it you know we have it set out so each kid in our neighborhood 
Hood has an individual bag this year because of safety due to COVID, excuse me. So I will pass those out. And I dress up every year. My son this year requested that I dress up as a witch, which, hmm, that shouldn't be too difficult. (laughs) Um, But he did pick out your traditional witch's pointy black hat. So I will do that. And maybe I'll get brave enough to post a picture of myself (laughs) to my story or on my feed. We'll have to see about that. So I will dress up. And I did, I I thought it'd be really fun to do like a little Samhain photo shoot, especially if if I'm going to dress up and my son wants me to. He's trick-or-treating as a skeleton. So I thought it could be a really cute little family shot as well, you know, in my my witch's garb and then my son in his little skeleton costume. So I, I did tell my partner that I wanted to do a mini photo shoot. So I want to make that happen as well on Samhain. Uh, we'll probably visit one of the local graveyards and... You know, I've I've heard and I've talked to other witches who feel differently about going to graveyards. I've talked to some witches who are very much opposed to going um, to cemeteries on Samhain because because the veil is thin and you don't always know what entities that you are dealing with. Uh, but I I see it as a place where I can go and respect. And I think if you're respectful and you protect yourself you can safely do that. And that is just my opinion. That is just me. That is not every witch. I'm only speaking for myself. So um, everybody has their own opinions on this. But we, my son and I frequent this cemetery. It's the one that I've posted about before on my feed, on my Instagram feed. And we'll probably go up there and just take a little walk around the cemetery. So yeah, I have all of that planned for Samhain. Uh, I'm not doing a dumb supper. I've thought about it. I've done that before. And a dumb supper is where you set a place setting for someone who has passed. You're like, you're inviting them to come sit with you. And you, you sit a dumb supper quietly, you know, you sit in silence. And I think traditionally, you you eat your meal backward. Now we didn't do this when I did a dumb supper before. But you start with your dessert and you work your way forward. But it's inviting in an ancestor who has passed. So you you invite them by setting a place setting for them and a plate of food for them and drink. And even if you don't do a dumb supper, it's still a good idea to put out offerings for your ancestor somewhere. And and I do this. I do this every year. I always set out an extra glass of wine, put it on my ancestor altar. I'll even take it outside with me too, uh, whenever I'm handing out candy. And now that I think about it, in the past, people are probably like, "Why does she have a drink in her hand and another drink just sitting next to her?" But I tip on the porch. I typically do that, and I'll do it again this year. So I like to have that offering. And this year is extra special with the blue moon. Uh, this only happens once every couple of years. And the fact that it coincides with Samhain is just so powerful and so magical. So I know a part of my evening is simply, if it's a clear evening, going to be staring at the moon. And I have my full moon ritual that I probably will do after trick-or-treating is over and everybody has gone to bed. Or maybe the next day, even November 1st, you know, I might I might complete it then because Samhain goes through... November 1st. 
And I'm sorry if I <laughs> rambled on a little bit at times, or maybe I only scratched the surface because I feel like there's just so much to talk about when it comes to any of the Sabbaths. Anytime we are turning the wheel, there, there's so much history to talk about and correspondences and how it's translating into our contemporary setting and what I do specifically, what other witches do, what you do. I mean, there's just so much that I could talk about and I feel like I'm only scratching the surface. So I know I left things out and I apologize for that. And if I got anything incorrect, I really do apologize for that because I'm, I'm just trying to give you the best information that I can muster and I can, can gather and that I can give to you from my experience. Oh, and I'm looking out the window right now and it's the first quarter moon and it is looking directly into my office and it is gorgeous. Speaking of getting off on tangents, it is beautiful and my dog is sitting right in front of me. I wish I could take a picture of this right now and maybe I will. Maybe I'll pause this to do that. And I did just that. I was able to get a picture, but now I am right back because of editing, which I'm slowly getting used to doing on this. And my and my dog now is, is sees something outside. I don't know. Do you see the fox? Maybe she sees the fox. Who knows? And this is about the time she usually barks on my episode anyway. She wants to say hello. So that wraps up the segment about Samhain. And now I'm going to go into the card of the week or the card of this episode. So I will admit that I'm not going to pull a card at random this week. Um, I chose very deliberately a card because I felt that its message was important, especially going into Samhain. And because I've talked about this a couple times through this episode. And so I'm using the illustrated herbiary and that is a gorgeous book and oracle deck by Maya Toll. And it's guidance and rituals from Bewitching Botanicals. So you can probably guess that I'm going to talk about Rosemary, Remembrance Rosemary. And this is what Rosemary wants you to hear. Rosemary is the smell of deja vu and the afterbreath of nostalgia. Her gift is the faint scent that teases and vanishes, leaving you longing for something you can't quite name with memories that crest and crash, pulling you gasping into their undertow. That's just beautiful. In Victorian times, Rosemary was said to say, remember me. This is but a small part of her magic. Rosemary can ease remembrance, softening sharp edges, or she can dredge the distant past, pulling on your DNA to bring forward the longings of lineage. Crush the leaves, hold them to your nose. The past is encoded into our cellular memory. Rosemary whispers, sink into the knowledge that lives in your bones. Let memory rise up from the body of your being. Oh, just gorgeous, just gorgeous. So honoring some ancestral memory when it comes to Rosemary. Rosemary's magic lies in her scent and the volatile oil hidden in her leaves. Science has affirmed that the smell of rosemary's essential oil enhances memory. Here's how it works. When you inhale rosemary, her vaporous oils cross through the mucous membranes in your nose and enter your bloodstream. Recall is significantly improved with rosemary flowing in your veins. You can get a good whiff of rosemary by crushing fresh leaves between your fingers or by rubbing a drop of the essential oil between your palms. That's what I do. (laughs) And I do like it fresh too. 
Then hold your hands over your nose and inhale for a few moments and notice how you feel. And that's a really nice ritual that you can do going into Samhain, especially if you're doing any work with your ancestors or simply if you want to honor them. You shouldn't go into Samhain with any, you know, um, oh, why can't I think of the word? Not intention. But you, you shouldn't go in thinking that you have to connect with your ancestors. Like, don't put pressure on yourself. Just by honoring your ancestors, by crushing some rosemary while you meditate, that is, that's enough. And, you know, maybe that will spark some memories. And maybe it will allow you to connect with your ancestors a little bit, to hear some of those whisperings of the past. So that is your message from Rosemary. Okay, everyone, so I just want to say thank you for tuning in to the second episode of my podcast. It has been really thrilling and very exciting to know that people are listening and to see that there were so many downloads from episode one. I hope I didn't disappoint with episode two. Like, it just makes my heart so happy to hear your comments. Many of you are messaging me on um Instagram. Some of you joined the Comfy Cozy Witch Facebook group and are just giving me such wonderful feedback. And I appreciate it so much because I just wanted to do this, yes, for for myself, because there is something almost therapeutic about talking and talking about your magic. It helps me with my practice even more, but also for you. Uh, to learn more. And many of you told me what you want to hear about. So I can't wait to get started on some of those episodes and uh, determine, I guess, when I'm going to talk about what topic. So thank you again for joining me. Again, you can find me on Instagram at Comfy Cozy Witch. And I'm also on Facebook. I have a Facebook group and it's private for anybody who is still in the broom closet and would like to keep their identity anonymous and stay private for uh, their reasons. And that is the Comfy Cozy Witchery, I believe it's called Comfy Cozy Witchery. Don't quote me on that, but there is a link in my bio on Instagram. So everybody, again, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this episode about Samhain. And I will be back later this week to talk to you about connecting with my ancestors through a Ouija board when I was 11 years old and how that has kind of informed my magic and my craft over the years and how I've been able to um, be reconnected with them recently. So that is it. I hope you have a magical week. And until next time, stay comfy, cozy, and witchy. Thank you.